All right, everybody. So today we have back on the podcast fan favorite Abel Shabai. <laughs> What's up, man? Hey, I'm all good. Um, the the pronunciation is getting better and better. Very very honored. <laughs> Great. Um, so if anybody notices that the audio quality is not as good, literally as we were starting, my higher quality microphone cord just completely broke. So same day delivery. Thank you, Amazon. We'll have it probably for the next podcast, but today. Gonna have to plow through. Yeah. Just broke it a day early. <laughs> right. So uh so we have been talking quite a bit. I mean, we so if people don't know, I mean, Abel, Brian Borst, and I, a couple others like regularly talk on on uh, Instagram and at least a lot of good discussions. And I feel like half the time we're saying, you know, it, we should have these on a podcast. And obviously we can't always be recording, but it does lead to a lot of interesting topics. So um, you know, we, we we're gonna get into today about gym culture and the gym environment, some specific exercises like deadlifts and lower back issues, um, the goals when you're advanced and like kind of how to stay motivated in the gym, some really practical stuff in terms of rep speed versus, you know, maybe more controlled reps and mechanical positioning. Um, and then a little bit as far as like time off. Uh, and, you know, I'm sure it's somewhere, somewhere in there, the whole uh, steroids and genetics thing is going to get talked about, I'm sure. So, <laughs> yeah. so, uh, so one thing we talked about early uh, yesterday was the gym environment. It was something that you, I think we talked about how different the culture is where you are, you know, in a more like isolated area in Europe versus where I am in the States. And I was saying how my gym, if anybody's seen my videos of the, what I call the McDonald's gym. So retro, uh, it basically was like, it was not as, I guess I would say low level as a university gym where I spend most of my time training, but it was not, it was not very busy. And there weren't a lot of like really impressive physiques there. And I've recently switched to a gym where, I mean, clearly plenty of people there use gear, very impressive physiques and not everybody. Um, there's, there's plenty of just like dad bods as well, but the caliber of physique is a lot higher. And I've mentioned how, even after all this time, I, I do notice a, just a different sense. I mean, we tend to think of, you know, where we are in like a hierarchy, right? I mean, this isn't just with lifting I mean, this is with anything, right? I, I mean, you kind of compare yourself to neighbors in a certain environment of like wealth and attractiveness and even like partners attractiveness. I mean, and, and all in all, as much as we try to say, don't compare yourself. And I think that's generally a good way to go about life. We all inherently do it. And I've, I've made other videos where I actually have a whole solo video where it talks about um, where I think the quote was that just focus on yourself is kind of BS because even when you're going to purchase things, right. If, if you were to say to like, you know, somebody with fitness, it's like, Hey, well just focus on yourself. Well, it's like, yeah, but if you're a coach, let's say, or you're selling a program, people are going to compare you to somebody else, right? So there's constant comparisons in life all the time. That's how we, you know, hey, you want to go somewhere? Like, let's look at the Google reviews and compare here to here. I mean, so you can get into a whole long discussion on that. But all that to say that with the gym, I think the gym you're in does kind of influence how you feel. So um, I just, I don't know, we can kind of start with that. Abel, if you have any thoughts, um, I think also just as a kind of closing intro point, something like Planet Fitness, this is why I think they actually literally do not allow like really serious lifters and like heavy lifters there, which in a way is discriminatory, but it is, it's their gym. They can kind of do what they want. And there are a lot of people who would feel intimidated in a more serious gym. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I definitely agree that the gym environment you're in matters. And um, so I have, um, so I lived for like a longer time. In, in Hungary, obviously, that's where I'm from. Now in North Macedonia, that's the second longest time I spent. And then in the Netherlands, in total, I was about three years. I was in New Zealand for about a year and a half. Uh, I was in Malta for like six months or something. Uh, so like I, I got to try like at least like three, four gyms in each of these countries. And um, honestly, like what I noticed over time is of course the equipment is very important and how good the gym is. So like that's, that is the number one concern for me still, but I have been just in so many gyms where you would go there and you would just, you would just feel bad. Like in Hungary, for example, I told you this yesterday, but um, it's still crazy to me that even the, the staff members and the owner and whoever there is not realizing that this is just a bad way of going about things. But 
I would get out of the car and I would just have to take like a deep breath. Like, okay, like going through the reception is just going to be like a minute. It's going to be okay. But this is just like the, the people are rude, like condescending. Uh, some of them, like in this current gym, for example, that I'm using now um, or have, have used for like five years, I'm sort of switching it up now which is hard because it's at a very convenient location and it's like a five minute walk or 10 minute walk from my, from my apartment. And uh, the equipment is good. It's maybe the best gym in the city. And I'm still considering switching it to another one where I have to drive like 25 minutes because when I'm going to that other place, like the people are nice to me, everybody's smiling. They are kind. Like I was away for like a week or something. And they were like, Oh, like, where have you been? And I was one of, or I think I was their first member because it was a new gym. And so they are co- continuously giving me like a 25% discount uh, to like honor my, my uh, loyalty or whatever. And, you know, I know that it's all for business, but it still makes me feel nice. And in this other gym, man, like the staff members are like walking up and down and, you know, like these mid twenties guys. And they're like, like looking at me like this, <laughs> looking yeah. for the eye contact. And sometimes yeah. I'm actually thinking like, what if I look back for too long? Like he's going to come up like in a bar, like hey, you need anything, dude? Like, <laughs> like, like what, like what the hell? Like, like, do they think that this is good, good business practice? Like what the hell? So yeah, it definitely matters a lot, even if you're a very serious trainee. Um, so yeah. Hey, listening comment below. on like, if you think, or if how you are in the gym is more of the, standoffish, like head down, you know, long sleeve shirt kind of a thing, or more of the, I want to say like, it's a social time. Um, but you know, more friendly in the gym and everything. Cause I've talked before about how from initial training, maybe 13, 14 in the gym to college, I was always that person who, because of the influence that I had from like more serious lifters, like you don't talk to people in the gym, you don't wear cutoffs, like any of that stuff. And then I met my my kind of like bro friends in college. And frankly, it was, uh, I I actually started to enjoy the gym more because again, it's not like, Hey, I'm going to be talking the whole time, but you meet people, you become friendly with people. And I think like anything, there is that culture and environment where thankfully at the gyms I've been in, most people are are very friendly. Um, so I think, I mean, obviously you can think of the examples of like, you know, the girl who gets hit on too much of the gym and just wants to be able to go there and lift. So I'm not saying like be talking to everybody who doesn't want to talk to you and be that annoying person. Um, but at this new gym, like I've already met probably four people by name. And, you know, when I see them, it's friendly. I think that to me, at least that adds to the gym experience. And probably while I always have some gym membership, even when I eventually have, you know, a very nice home gym, which I'd I'd like to really invest in at some point, um, for even when I do that, I think I'm still going to keep a gym membership, even if it's only once or twice a week, because I think there is a culture to it. Yeah. And like for me personal personally the ideal gym is one that is completely empty so and and so it matters to me if people are nice but so once i start working out like i hate it when people come up and like try to chit chat or something like i'm avoiding eye contact like i you know i'm sure you have some or at least have had some people like this in your gym who like come up and start like chit chatting and they just don't get the signs and they just like stick around so that drives me crazy um but but, but still, like, even for those 10 seconds when you're, like, going through reception or something, it matters if you feel like you're being treated like crap or they're, like, really polite and, and nice to you. Yeah, so. well, that was the problem. My old gym, it was great because it was always dead. <laughs> but because it was always dead, it closed down. So, it's, mm. it's you know, there's a balance for sure. Uh, so, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, one of the things I said is that since being in this gym, there has been a definitely more of, like, a, I wouldn't say, like, a pressure but maybe more of a desire to like push things. And I've already made the decision, you know, many times logically that, you know, I, I'm not going to start, you know, blasting gear. Or I'm not going to like push anything that's going to screw my health, but I can kind of feel that. And I, I think it kind of touches on the importance of having concrete goals, because in the same way that maybe like a beginner goes off their goals because they don't have it maybe written down or it's not enough of a focus. I think even at an advanced stage, you have, this issue where you can kind of be like, well, I'm already where I'm at. This is something I've said before, like, you know, I'm kind of just maxed out. So what is there left to do? Uh, But I've been kind of trying to think of things that I would even care about at this stage. You know, I I think it's great that there are people like 
Alpha Destiny, who says he doesn't think there's any real limit and you can always progress. Uh, same thing with like somebody like Jeff Alberts, who's 50 plus and quote unquote progressing. Uh, but at least for me, in terms of tangible things, I think it's very hard to really find things at that stage. So you're not in the game as long, but I mean, you, you're what, maybe 10 years now? Yeah, yeah. It's it's either that or like or or nine or something. So yeah. yeah. So you know, I would imagine it's it's gonna come relatively soon. Have you thought about things you would strive for? Like we talked, you actually made a good point that well, maybe you should touch on that. Like that when people say, Oh, well, just back off and do other hobbies, you kind of had a problem with that advice at an advanced stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's because and, and not just, by the way, not just at an advanced stage, but but even in general, uh, people say these things very easily. So I, I said that a lot to, you know, like when you're, you know, get your training in check, um, like whatever, if you're dieting, get that in check, but then there's no need to like read about it more to like spend all your time thinking about it, just like focus on other things. And even that is easier said than done. But but especially that, like, yeah, if you're someone who maxed out pretty much on, on their progress, people say that very easily that, hey, just, you know, put training on the back burner, now focus on other areas of your life, shift focus. But man, you have spent, I don't know, 8, 10, 15 years really dedicated to this hobby, and you made tons of sacrifices, and it was an integral part of your life. You know, it's it wasn't just something that you did on the weekends, like you go and I don't know, do some shooting on the field or something. It's like you were there multiple times a week, you know, tweaking your diet, uh, changing how you live your social life and everything. And those are sacrifices, yes, but at the same time, I mean, this was for for those of us that were really into it, our most involved hobby that we ever had, probably. I mean, the only thing I could. I mean, a few things I could compare to that, like if someone is like a really big gamer or something where someone is like a mu hobbyist musician, but they're serious about it, that that could be similar. Um, but unlike those other hobbies, like, yeah, at, at, in this one, like you really do kind of get to a stage where you really need to change your perspective completely. Like there, there just won't really be, at least as a natural, there won't really be new heights that you can explore and and new really big achievements that you can unlock or maybe they, they will there will be but they will be very different than how they were in the first i don't know like five years or something so you know and and the analogy i use there i think it is like uh, when you have a girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever for eight ten years and all of a sudden, like you break up for some reason and someone was just saying to you, hey, like just uh, no worries, you will just find another one. And it's like, well, yeah, OK, sure. I understand that they, in theory, but it, that's that's not a very trivial thing. Like, don't just say it that easily. So I, I think it's it's it can be very, very tough. And I think, you know, like like that's why for a lot of people at that point, the logical next step is going on gear um, for a lot of others. It might be getting into coaching very seriously or or starting their own whatever fitness business. Uh, but yeah, just shifting focus man, that's tough. Uh, but I don't know. What do you what do you think about that? I think that, you know, that's not at all why I started the podcast, but certainly the podcast has given me a much more involvement in there. I mean, obviously, like I wouldn't have to be coaching with Steve right now if I never started the podcast because I probably wouldn't even know Steve. Um, I, I probably would have just, I really don't know. I mean, it was such a huge thing. I mean, I mean, I've said before, like years ago, I was like, I don't even know what my life would be like if I never got into lifting because it's been ubiquitous throughout most of my life that I can even remember that I don't even know what I would do. And the people who don't have any exercise in their life, I also wonder like, what are you doing with your time? Like, like, I don't mm. know, uh, which is not to say that they should be shamed or anything. I'm just, it's just such a big part of my life. It's almost hard to imagine at this point. And then with the gear thing. Yeah. I mean, I know a number of people who said that gear going on really uh, invigorated, reinvigorated their passion for it. I think the problem with that is that you end up at the same place anyway. Now you'll have a more impressive physique, but Unless you continue, like, let's just say you're like, well, I'll just go up to 500 milligrams of test. Okay. That's going to be done in like a year. You're not going to just keep going up and then you're well, okay. You change the compounds around, you have to dose, but eventually you are just going to have to take more things. You're going to experiment with more things. Um, and it just becomes this thing that you adapt to, and then you have to do more of. And then the bigger problem is you have that fall from grace, right? I mean, that's honestly one of the biggest reasons that I'd be concerned about it is it's like, okay, so you gain 20 pounds of muscle. 
Well, you're not going to stay on gear forever. And as I said yesterday, there are guys who are really naturally jacked, like Jeff Alberts. He is going to be very impressive until he's probably 70. Is he going to be as impressive at 50, at 70 compared to 50? No, but he's still, because he's naturally gifted, he is still going to be very impressive. But if you had to use gear to get to be as impressive as Jeff is at 50, then by the time you're 70, you're probably going to have fallen a lot more, um, you know, and then you know, obviously the whole lifelong dependence on TRT and all that. But I just think that it's more problematic when you have to do that and you're still always chasing it. And, and it's just so easy. I and mean, this is what I say about like the people who are just on TRT, you've made it so easy to just throw in something right? Oh, well, yeah. you know, three times a year, two times a year for summer or whatever, I go up the dose, I take this oral, whatever it is. And again, I'm not saying that's the end of the world. I'm just saying that if you're completely natural, you kind of know that's not going to do anything like, yeah, you could do, I guess you could do a cycle of something before the summer, but like you've more or less closed yourself off to that possibility when you say, I'm not going to take anything versus oh, I'll take something. And then you're going to get muddies the water a little bit. And then just like the analogy, like I was thinking, like you said, with a girlfriend, I think it's just like to other sports in general. That's one thing that is really great about lifting is that with a lot of sports, like you think of like wrestling where, especially wrestling actually, uh, where you don't, nobody does it after college. I mean, yeah, there's like the Olympics, but like if you play tennis, you can still play tennis the rest of your life. You can golf the rest of your life you can still technically play basketball and like football, I guess the rest of your life. But some of these, I mean, most people are not playing football at 40 plus. Right. I mean, but some of these sports are lifelong mm. sports, but if you like wrestle, it is a very intense sport. It's most of your life. If you're really serious about it. And then you graduate college and you're just done. Like you never wrestle again. And it's just like depressing because that was such a huge part of your life. Whereas lifting, I mean, the nice thing is you can do it literally forever. And really you should do it forever for them, for most yeah. people. Um, but I think it just becomes hard to like, like you, the goal can't be in my opinion every year. Well, I'm trying to gain more muscle. I'm trying to gain more muscle. Like, I think if that's still always your goal after like 10 plus years, well, I don't know. I mean, what do you think about that? I don't think it's realistic. I guess you could keep the goal. I just think it's maybe not, (laughs) I think it's a little delusional, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, I don't know. For example, in the summer, I also, I think I said this when we chatted privately that in the summer, I had a really fun time being completely purposeless, for example. So I, um, I was basically like, I had my wedding and then it was kind of, I wouldn't say a hectic period. Cause like we didn't go anywhere and whatever, but basically each day I was just doing my thing. And then I went to the gym in the afternoon. I walked there and and walked back so like basically the part of the whole gym thing was just like getting a good walk so like that was at least like a 20 30 minute walking experience right there and and it completely freestyled in the gym so sometimes i was doing drop sets sometimes i was doing some like rest pause i threw in some new exercises here and there and you know over like two three months like I, I could tell that, I don't know, like maybe actually I regressed a little bit because it was just so unstructured and, and um, recovery was also like not on point always, but actually I, I enjoyed it a lot. And what actually made it, I think, easier to still enjoy it while being that purposeless is, is staying lean. Um, so, cause like, it was like this whole ritual of going to the gym, getting my walk in getting my workout in and then coming home, having like the nice post-workout meal. Um, and so I'm not saying that this is like a good template for everybody, but maybe actually that's just um, a thing that, for example, with leanness, like how lean can I stay with that sort of thing? Like there, there will actually be more, more little things you can unlock as you go on. Cause, um, cause there are a lot of little life skills that you can learn. So, so maybe that's another thing that can kind of prolong this, enthusiasm for fitness in general but yeah when it comes to lifting uh yeah yeah i i will say that this this might actually be the first year for me when i just found it really difficult to be like really structured with Mm. my with my muscle building plan so like the winter period came and i was actually really planning on going on like kind of a lean bulk 
and okay, like I'm going to stop the freestyling in the gym. I'm going to have like a set rotation and, and that's what I'm going to do. And man, I, I just couldn't stick to it. Like not even for a whole week, honestly, mm -hmm. like I could just never have a concrete like rotation. It probably, I should have hired a coach if I was really serious about that. Cause I could just not get myself to do it. Like, um, so yeah. So I already see the writing on the wall here that this could be difficult. So yeah and and you, probably a big uh, the whole reason i said this i'm sorry i'm gonna shut up then just uh you asked like do i think it's a it's it's a good idea to still strive for like maximal muscle growth i mean probably the reason i have this difficulty is because i know it's just not realistic to really expect that much yeah so yeah a couple points there so um quick question when you walk half an hour to the gym do your whole workout i'm guessing a little over an hour and then walk back are you eating anything or you just go a couple hours without eating around the pre-workout time um so so by just so 15 minutes there 15 back so half an hour in total oh, okay. the walk but okay. but um but I, yeah actually uh probably the biggest gap in my meals uh like in terms of how far apart they are is in my like first meal and then my post-workout meal so that mm -hmm. will often be a, actually like a good six hours, sometimes even longer, which might really? not be, uh, optimal, but, um, but yeah, actually, I don't know. Um, maybe it's some like leftover from my like eating disorder ridden past or something, but I kind of enjoy that feeling of like, by the time I finish with my workout, like I'm getting kind of hungry yeah. and I come home and then I like really enjoy that post-workout meal. Yeah. Um, well, I so definitely, I very much enjoy the post-workout meal, but so to clarify, you'll have your first meal and then there'll be a couple hours before you go to the gym. So that by the time you're having your post-workout meal, it's been six hours. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Okay. Pretty much. Yeah, it's yeah. a long time. At, at the end there, and you were saying, you know, one of the reasons that it's harder for you is because you're like, well, realistically, I know that it's not going to be, you know, you're not going to gain that much. And I think that is a really important point when it comes to people who are, who claim to be like so motivated and claim to be, you know, so dedicated. And it's like, you might actually be, but you also have to factor in that a huge part of that is your success. So like, let's take somebody mm -hmm. like a Jared feather, right? He's, he's so dedicated and he's so motivated to do this and he's, you know, so consistent, but it's like, yeah, because from pretty much jump street, you were top of the top, right? Your response within a year was ridiculous. You obviously have amazing genetics for it. It is much easier to be dedicated to something when you're really good at it then when you suck, right? This is why people have inclinations towards whatever they're good at, right? You got the jocks who excel in a sport and, and then you got, you know, the cliche nerds who excel at chess club, right? And like that, that's because mm. they gravitate, gravitate towards what they're good at. And so I think it is harder not to say, and again, not to downplay their dedication, but if I have somebody as a client, let's say, who's like five years in and they barely look like they lift, it is understandable for that person that it, it is harder to be motivated because they feel like I'm not seeing, again, going back to one of the first points, we do compare ourselves to others, right? I mean, this is one of the biggest arguments I think about when people say, who cares who's on steroids? It's like, you should care because we absolutely are going to compare ourselves. And you can't tell some kid who's been lifting for a couple of years, who's benching 180, but maybe sees everybody benching like 300 plus. And like, I always reference the T nation forum saying this guy was like, if you're not 200 plus pounds within two years of lifting, you're in the wrong sport, or you don't know what you're doing. Basically it's like, you don't know what you're doing. It's like, that's, that's a horrible message, right? I, I mean, go tell Jeff Alberts that he's not big enough because he's not 200 pounds after 30 years. Right. I mean, it's just yeah. a ridiculous thing to say. So, um, yeah. I, I just think that that's a big, you know, your response to it has a huge impact on how dedicated you are. And the last thing is, as far as that unstructured, it's funny because I am a very structured person. I always have a routine and, you know, I analyze that and all these things like that. But one of the things that I, one of my favorite times to lift is when I've gone on cruises and like, I wake up early, like 6am and it's just like a beautiful scenery. Like you're literally just in the middle of the ocean, but I don't have a structured routine on a cruise. I go in there, I just have like a fun lift on machines. And even though it's like, it's a very hard workout to me, that's fun. I, I wouldn't want to do that all the time. Uh, and then I go feast on like the endless buffet for breakfast and everything. Like that's really one of my favorite like memories and things I do. Um, mm. 
So I wouldn't want that all the time, but I could see how maybe for a summer while you're really lean, you know, that that could be something that's fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, to be honest, like I, I think it's so first of all, that's a good point about like who, who is motivated and who isn't like I always had um, when I was talking, like when people see me like going to the gym every day. And like I said, I did that for a long time, like seven days a week and not no day off for God knows how long and, and being like really serious about everything. And they would look at me and say like, wow, you must um, either like you're really disciplined, which I always rejected because it's like, well, no, like I, I enjoy it. So like it doesn't really require discipline. And then the other one would be like, wow, like you're, you're really motivated. But I mean, it's is it, is it motivation? Like I, I was excited to see how far I, I can push things. So it's, um, which doesn't mean like, it doesn't preclude you from being motivated as well, but I don't know. It's um, whenever someone is talking about like being really process oriented and really dedicated to the whole thing. And then I see them just looking phenomenal. Like it's, it doesn't mean that they're not really all that, but it's just um, maybe invalidate, not in, making me a bit skeptical it's kind of like the person at a like personal development seminar or something who is like clearly this like extroverted like like super well-spoken person and it's like oh just be confident like you know like like who cares what others are thinking it's like but dude of course if i was you probably i wouldn't care either like um right and um but yeah like the the other thing that you were saying about um the structure part like that honestly again is coming back to like how much you know, like the more excited you are about what you can still achieve, I think the more bullshit you're willing to put up with. So it's, it's literally now just a matter of I walk into a gym. And if I see that an equip a piece of equipment I wanted to use is taken, I'm, I'm, I just don't care, I guess, enough about the whole thing to wait for that equipment, I'm going to do something else, like I want to train my quads, okay, the hack squat is taken, then okay, I'm going to do the leg extensions today, or I'm going to do some leg presses and not going to care about the neural like uh, learning that I will still have to do because I'm just going to do that today. And, and so the whole thing ends up being a mess. So final thing I would say on that is you, you made a point about, well, when you're that advanced and you can kind of like focus on like the leanness, it really, I would say you can focus on almost anything. And like, the nice thing is that you can detect these changes, right? So that is one thing, like when you're, when you've been doing the same thing for so long and you've basically been the same for so long, if you change anything, it's a fairly well-controlled environment, right? So if like I say, hey, you know, I'm doing this and hey, Steve is going to add in drop sets. Well, it's like, okay, if, if anything's going to work, like we're going to notice it because, you know, these measurements or this strength has been exactly the same. That's why like if I, when I put that one rep on my pull-up PR, it's like, yeah, well, that was like a legitimate one rep gain. And that's because I've been at the same for so long. So you, you can detect things. So if you are analytical, you can kind of have some fun with things and then experiment and say, okay, well, you know, let's add this one movement and can I see any change? And you can more so attribute it to that change rather than like, you know, when you're getting started, it's like, who the hell knows why this happened? There's so many changes going on at once. Yeah. 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 No, that's a good point. So we were talking a little bit about um, exercise selection. And I do think that one thing I hear like Dante Trudell talk about, obviously we've heard a lot with Doug Brignoli and Cassim and Mike a little bit, um, but other people I've heard talk about it is the importance of the right exercises. And, and I kind of agree with that over, you know, something Dante always says is like, you know, if your biceps are lagging, do you really think that it's just like, you've been doing curls, barbell curls for 10 years and your biceps are lagging. Do you think that it's really that you need more volume on those same barbell curls? And I would kind of agree with him that, I mean, one, I, I think, again, it's mostly going to be genetics, right? If you have lagging biceps, I've very, very rarely seen somebody, especially like calves, but even other muscle groups where it's like this body part was lagging and now it's a strong point. Like usually things just kind of grow symmetrically. Um, but I would still say that of the two options, I think finding a unique exercise that really targets it better for you is probably more likely to get more growth than just saying, Hey, I was doing, you know, nine sets. Now let's increase it by 33% to 12 sets. Like, I just don't, I really just don't believe that that's going to do a lot. You know, um, mm. how do you feel about that? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I would, I would tend to agree. 
Um, I mean, of course, uh, I think just yesterday we chatted, uh, you, Brian, and I about why, like, if all of these things are true, like, like these are the things that matter for training, like volume and then failure proximity, maybe not that much. Then why do we so many people spinning their wheels? And like you made a good point, for example, about staying at the same weight. So all that is to say that like there can be a lot of factors why someone's arms are not growing, for example. But I think um, with exercises, I think like in I just my own example, I had so many times when I was I could have made a lot of progress on a given lift, but I just had to stop because like it was always like irritated my elbow or something. And then maybe I took that too far. So then I had to like maybe take some time off from that movement pattern or, or even like just make my training so light that it was actually like not that stimulative anymore. And, and I think maybe it won't be as bad for some people, but then I think if you find a movement that is like, that like really fits you and then you can just consistently push yourself hard, harder on that. Um, then I think over time, it will make a difference, even if it's a small one. So I, I, it's kind of the same thing as, and this is not necessarily like the right, the right analogy or not, not even the right example, because maybe it actually doesn't matter that much how close you train to failure. But like, you know, if training like zero RIR is like a little bit more stimulative than training two RIR, you know, in a month, maybe even in a year, it won't do anything. But over like a long time, like, those many little extra reps that you get in, those could make a difference. And I think um, the same thing could be the case on this one, if, if nothing else. So I'm not even talking about like the biomechanical fanciness here, just this simple aspect. I think the volume thing, most people have come around that I've seen at least that like, yeah, you need sufficient volume, more volume can be helpful, but it's not, I don't think it's like this big game changer. I, I think that like though the right position or the right, exercises can make more of a difference for sure. Uh, especially it seems like back is, is a big one for a lot of people. Like there really are people who that is one area I, I have seen people more so bring up that it's like, they're just really not training their back correctly, or they're really focusing on the wrong exercises, or it's like all momentum or whatever. And I've probably seen the most changes of somebody changing their back. And I know this is something that you're always wanting to work on. you mentioned like with like the erectors and stuff. Um, yeah. I think you said now that you don't feel like you can do RDLs, you're going to buy, what was it? Yeah, man. It's, um, I, I think at this point, I, I just have to say like, I'm, I'm going to give this up. I'm going to be turning, um, well, I'm going to be turning old. I won't say it because you will get a lot of comments saying that they think I'm older than that. So I don't <laughs> want to, don't want to hurt my feelings, but yeah, I'm going to be arriving to a big landmark, uh, in less than a month. And everybody in the comments, tell us how old you think Abel is. No, 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 please, <laughs> pl please cut that out because you will actually you get I them. Am. <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. I gotta go. Sure. Just kidding. Um, no. So um, what was I saying? Yeah. RDLs like it's been happening now for years and probably in many of those occasions, I was just a wuss and I overreacted, but like I many times had that where, okay, like I'm doing it as, oh man, I'm not sure what's going to happen if I go up like two more kilos. Like it, it just feels weird. And in those cases, I didn't have an injury or anything. It just felt like shaky enough that I just didn't dare to go heavier. Last year, I, I, I pushed it and I was like, okay, I don't care. Like I'm not going to be a wuss. I'm going to go up as heavy as I can. I got up to like 170 kilos for like six or something. And then I um, like I noticed that I have like some mild umbilical hernia. So then that kind of scared me. So I was like, okay, I'm going to take a break from like this compound stuff. Let's see how bad it is. Then it turned out that it really isn't like, it's not, nothing is really happening to it and it doesn't hurt. It's not getting worse. So I got back to RDLing not that long ago. And like just the other day, like completely pristine reps wasn't even that heavy. I could have gone like 10 kilos heavier even and just, one of those reps in my lower back, I'm just feeling this like, like this cracking feeling as like, Oh fuck the fuck was that? So re-rack the weight and a week passed by and it's not, wasn't like disastrous, but I still feel it. So I'm like, 
and and I heard it from so like any basically any time a client of mine has an injury of some kind or like just something that sidelines them for like a week even, it's always the RDL. Seriously, yeah, and and I'm actually being pretty conservative with the RDL with them. Like a lot of people I see on Instagram, like they basically put the place down on the on the floor, so either their back is actually like rounding a bit, or at least their pelvis is kind of turning over. Uh, I don't even do that. So like they are doing it with a completely flat back. Um, the ROM is a bit more limited and still. So uh, I don't know. I, I, I think at this point I can just make that call that I'm going to be doing like back extensions um, of various kinds with lightweight. And God damn it, if I won't have good erectors like Steve Hall and Brian, then then I won't. Very mixed feelings these days with the deadlift variations. Because when I was young... It was probably like late high school, early college, and I was getting up to like the 400s. And I remember my, ironically, my dentist and uh, my dad were like, you know, you really got to be careful. It's going to mess up your back. Like you don't need all that weight. And, you know, I was very much in like the power building world and like, you know, that's ridiculous. These guys, if anything, it's actually better for your back and, you know, all this stuff. And then you have guys like, like a Jason Blaha who says that, I mean, at one point, Jason Blaha would talk about how you, you didn't need to warm up. You know, if you warm up, that is a problem with you. Like you should just be able to go in and max, which I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that one. Um, but yeah, that's you know, an interesting way. Yeah. So anyway, I, I think he's, he's changed his stance on that, hopefully. So anyway, mm-hmm. but like he would say like he's deadlifting so much at this age and a lot of people do, but man, I don't know. Like I, I really have changed my stance on that a little bit. And I do see people consistently get injured with deadlifts. I mean, even Eric Helms, I said years back, he's like, when you do powerlifting, you are basically agreeing to slowly degrade your body over time. <laughs> and like, show me a real, like you can show me a lot of bodybuilders who are not too banged up after years, uh, but- Like Lane Norton. Oh, wait, not. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> uh, but, but show me somebody who like really competed in powerlifting for a long time, who doesn't have a slew of injuries. Like I'm sure they exist, but it's pretty rare. Uh, this is the same thing why, like, you know, I was considering um, jujitsu for a while and I was like back and forth. And then, you know, I was like, oh, like this could be cool. And then I actually rolled at a, well, I went to like a one lesson with Mike Gizertos like two or three years ago. And I remember him saying like, oh no, like you will get hurt. Like stuff's going to happen. And Joe Rogan has talked about how pretty much every person he knows who does jujitsu long enough has like severe neck issues and spine issues and they're joined my hygienist's fiance, her, uh, he's been doing it for like 12 years. His joints are a mess. Like, it's like, it, you just don't see it where you do that long and you don't have these problems. And so when it comes to like one rep maxing with powerlifting, I think that for most people does end up being a problem. Now, if we're talking higher reps, sure, less risk of injury. But I know for me, every time I get around to like low 500s for deadlift, something would happen. Like every single time something would happen. Um, and then with RDLs, even last year, we were talking about like you and Mario Atomic and a few other people were doing them. So I was like, yeah, I'll see if I can get back into them. And I was doing like, I did 315, like muscularly was super easy. Like I was doing it for, I don't remember how many reps, but like, you know, normal reps and it was muscularly so easy, but something would happen. And it's like, I could barely walk for a week. And Mm. I know some people could say, you've got some imbalance. You've got, you got to see PT and work on this and that maybe like I'm open to the idea that maybe there are things that could be worked on. Uh, but I would also question like, does it matter? Like, like, could you just not find alternatives that do not have that same risk? Um, and again, this is, I'm not claiming it's definitely one way or the other here. I'm, I'm saying I'm more open to that one. Um, but I, I was a little surprised to hear you say that with RDLs though, because for me, it was more like traditional deadlifting. That was more of an issue. Actually, that's what I was thinking now that, um, so with conventional deadlifts, I actually never got uh, that far. Uh, I think mainly because I didn't use straps and my grip is super weak. So I think like maybe the heaviest I deadlifted was like less than 100 kilos, like conventional deadlifted. But, you know, I was like, I don't know, 10 years younger, maybe. But um, it's interesting that um, I used to have like a lot of back pain while sitting like I remember in college like I I could just not sit through a class like I was constantly like turning back and forth and my back would crack so loudly that like people next sitting next to me would like look at me like what the hell was that like are you falling apart here and and I started um 
started following some like splits that I found on the internet. Like that's when I started lifting basically. And I like, it was such a drastic and very like acute improvement in how my back felt like immediately felt way better from like a little bit of conventional deadlifting. Basically that was the only like uh, axially loaded exercise I was doing. And then, yeah, I mean, with RDLs really, as, as soon as I go over like 120 kilos, basically it, it like things just kind of start happening. Um, sometimes it will be as, as little as later that day, my back will be a bit sore. Sometimes it will be like this. Luckily it never got any worse than this. And then actually, so I'm thinking probably I, I just have like a weak spine genetically. I don't know. Cause like I, I had the same thing with back squats one time, like what was like 110 kilos or something. And like totally like normal reps wasn't even that, like wasn't even close to failure. It was like midway through the set and like, just like, like this felt this like crack in my back, like, holy fuck, like re racked the weight. Yeah. And again, like was sore for like two weeks or something. Then it went away. I was like, okay, no, thanks. Like that was more than enough back squatting for me. So fortitude training and, you know, not directly getting coached by Scott Stevenson, but talking with him quite a bit. And he had me do, um, it was these like really slow eccentric rack pulls from like right below the knee. And I mean, I was literally, I mean, you can imagine how much you could do on a, a rack pull. I was doing like yeah. 185 and pounds, not kilos. And I was just <laughs> going super slow. It was at the end of my workout, super slow, you know, crazy burn in the traps and then like, you know, upper back area and everything. And even then it would be like the next day I'd be like, yo, what is going on here? Like it just, you know, something was off. And so mm -hmm. I've done limited range of motion. I've done trap bar deadlifts. I've done conventional, I've done sumo. It just seems like there's something. And then, you know, again, you brought up Lane Norton. It's like, okay, so Lane Norton, I'm sure has tried everything under the sun, right? I mean, he's seen the top specialist. He was a world record holder in the squat, very impressive deadlift. And he has gotten back to it numerous times like he's gotten back up there but he's re-injured himself so many times and again i mean this is an intelligent guy who's got some of the world's best people around him and it still happens you know and i'm sure he is going to be dealing with a lot of chronic pain later in life you know from that so and again if you can go for a world record maybe it's worth it to you but i, I again this is i'd be interested maybe I, I will have um you know a specific like sports physical therapist on to discuss this more but I, I really do question about like the really, really heavy deadlifts for a lot of people. Yeah. And I mean, so there's no question that like, doesn't even matter what the lift is, but there's a point where you go heavier than that. And it's just uh, significantly more dangerous, quote unquote, dangerous, or not even quote unquote, just actually dangerous than how it was <laughs> up to that point. Yeah. Uh, so th there's definitely that point. But um, I wonder though, like what would happen or... Like what would be the, the benefit I would gain from at least keeping something in it, even if I'm not trying to progress on it, but like some deadlift variation, almost as a, like as a maintenance thing of like just exposing my spine to some kind of like heavier loading, yeah. because uh, I, I guess I could gain like some good erector mus musculature by just doing like light back extensions. Um, but like, I would think that, you know, if your spine can tolerate those really heavy loads, then, then maybe there is some benefit from some sort of loading like that. And then trying to find some safe way or just not actually trying to progress on it, but just do it almost as like a my, you, part of your weekly routine. Like I'm going to do some, I don't know, deadlifts with 80 kilos at least or something. No, I do agree with that. I think that I don't want to say it's been like established, but like has more or less been shown to help with injury prevention, right? I mean, certainly having older individuals going through some of these movements, I think is really helpful. And you can imagine how somebody who, if you just, let's say you had some kind of like ridiculous scenario with somebody who's just doing machines. So they got really strong at the leg press, really strong at like machine chest supported rows and pull downs and whatever. So they have all this muscle mass with the strength potential and they never do a squat or a deadlift or whatever. These are the, like that person would probably be very prone to a mishap in regular everyday life. They move a couch, they pick up their kid. Like they're so not used to that, even though they have the strength potential. 
that they get injured. And that's how a lot of injuries happen, right? It's not necessarily in the gym. A lot of times it is, but it's like you moved the wrong way. You weren't thinking about it. Um, <laughs> I had last week or two weeks ago, I like picked up, it's funny. I'll, I'll like pick up my weight for a dumbbell row when it's like hundred pounds, but I'm very cognizant of how I'm picking it up. But then I had laterals and it was like 17 and a half pounds. So I just kind of picked it up and moved it. And like, I kind of, like, I don't, you know, technically threw my back out, I, but I screwed up my back and mm. to finish my workout, I had, my wrist was kind of screwed up. So I'm there doing laterals with 17 and a half pounds with a powerlifting belt on and my wrist wraps. <laughs> Thankfully, this was in my own home. Um, but yeah. yeah, it looked very ridiculous. But it was yeah. saying like, you just turn the wrong way. You're, it's when you're not thinking about it. So I, I do absolutely agree that some squats, some deadlift variations and everything should be kept in there. I'm talking about like taking it to the max where you're, like you said, progressing or trying to progress constantly and, and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so I think a final topic here kind of relates into that a little bit in terms of time off, deloading, taking time away. Um, is it beneficial versus, and I think we had, I know we had debates on refeeds maybe like a year or two ago. I think mm. deloads was another one we kind of had uh, debates on. I don't love Menno's idea of like, you just deload a specific exercise. That to me just seems kind of odd. Um, but I, I think the whole idea of like, I don't think anybody needs like a week off, for instance. Um, I'm, I mentioned earlier, I'm going to have natural hypertrophy on the podcast after you. So uh, anybody who's listening, if you want to see that one, make sure subscribe for more. And also what a guest one. list you have today, Jesus, it, SSD able and natural hypertrophy. Just right. Kidding. Big trio, um, <laughs> which means that one will also have crappy audio. So, <laughs> um, but anyway, so I think he's like totally against deloads and I know a number of people who are against them. I guess my general stance on them is I don't think they're like super beneficial unless you're really pushing things all the time. Um, I think there's people, you would know this better than I would, but I think people like uh, Borge and, and whatnot will talk about how they'll just train at a low enough volume that they never need a deload. Where do you stand with that stuff? Yeah, I think um, I think we don't know for sure. So I think nobody even like, um, so like Eric Helms, for example, is a obviously super, super knowledgeable and well-read person and researcher now in the field. And he's a proponent of deloads, but probably he would he would say as well that uh, like it's not like we know for sure exactly how frequently we need them or if we need them. But like he would say that we have enough um, theoretical reasons to do deloads so that it's worth doing them and recommending them. Um, and the menu would make good read like um solid arguments for the opposite and um yeah like basically his thing is you know fatigue is mainly local in the muscles there is some central fatigue and um the nervous system gets impacted somewhat but it's something that requires uh, recovers literally in like hours sometimes even minutes um and for example if everything is progressing really well then why would you take a deload? Or if everything is progressing really well, except for let's say the quads or something, why would you need to deload your biceps? Because your quads are, are uh, taking a hit in, in their rate of progression. And also um, from a behavioral standpoint, actually that, that would be one, one area where I would agree with him just, just personally. Like I, I many times toyed with the idea of like, maybe I should really do this, um, this deloading thing, like more traditional one, like every six weeks or 12 weeks, whatever. But I just, even when I don't really enjoy working out, because I have those times, I really hate taking a week off or, or even just like going there and, and just bullshitting around with like really submaximal weights. Because um, uh, that, that is the one I hate the most because if I'm there, I want to do something that actually I feel like makes some sense. I don't know. Taking a week off, I hate it because it just throws off my routine because like going to the gym kind of like gives a bit of a framework to my day uh, or extra framework, which is pretty important to me. And um, I don't know, from a psychological point of view, I just really don't like them. Um, but I think, I think that's, the, the argument that Berge is making 
and and probably Menno would say the same thing, or I know he would, that if you're basically training at the level where you can continuously adapt to that stimulus, then then you don't need to deload. I think that I would think that is probably true up to a point. At an advanced level, I could see there being an argument for, you know, even though it's logical, like you really need to push things to like a really high level at times. And uh, that might be more than the level of um, stimulus or, or volume that you can sustain for a long time. And then you will need to let that fatigue dissipate. So it, it might be the case that at a certain point that is just simply needed. Um, so, yeah, so I, I would say I agree. brought that point up to Menno. So does he have a counter argument for that? Um so that that specific one i didn't because i i just knew more or less what he would say and i think more or less his argument would come down to um there is no real good evidence that overreaching uh functional overreaching is really doing anything um any kind of like we have like one or two studies and something like those are slightly hinting to the idea that it might do something but we also have a bunch that are not showing that. So it's just, um, and his whole philosophy, like he used to be called Bayesian bodybuilding. And that is basically like the reason he was called that way is because, you know, like you're using like a Bayesian statistical model to like really try to predict what is likely going to happen if you do certain things. And if the evidence is showing this at the moment, like we have just no good reason to use that as a basis of our structuring or like as a cornerstone of our training uh, setup. So that's more or less what he would say, I, I think, if I brought that up. It is interesting to see different camps. Like right now, Steve has me deloading every sixth week, basically. And you're doing half the volume and half the weight as the other set. So like effectively, what is that really doing? I guess you could keep it in the groove. But like to me... I don't really see what advantage that would have over just taking a week off. And I understand like psychologically why that's a problem for some people. Um, I actually enjoy weeks off because it's like, I have plenty of other things I can be doing. And it's not like, like there's never been a same thing with like cheat days. Like, I mean, I guess whatever you want to call them, big refeeds. I've never had it where I had a big refeed. And then the next day I just can't get back on track. Like I've always mm -hmm. been like, well, this is the day, but I know some people do have that. And the same thing with like a deload for me. I've never been like, well, this is my deload week. Uh, I'm just not going to go. Like it's never even been a thought. So I take the week off. I do other things. I get back to it. Do I think that going like for half the reps and everything, like obviously in this case, I'm getting coached, so I'm doing it, but I don't think it really matters. Um, I, I think and that's something I will talk with natural hypertrophy about later on is, you know, what, because he, he seems, and I have to kind of get his stance a little bit more clear in my mind there, but I just don't know if it like matters, but I could see the argument that when you're so advanced in the same way as some people say, you have to focus on specialization cycles, right? If you want to grow after 10 plus years, you have to focus on like this body part, because I mean, what they say, whether or not it's true is that it's going to need so much more volume to continue to grow, but it's going to cause a systemic fatigue that you're not able to recover from if you did that with all of your body parts. So maybe your volume is 50% higher for biceps and triceps or whatever you're deciding to specialize in and everything else is lower. Same idea and principle with this whole deloading thing. Well, you need to just ramp everything up, but it's going to be too hard to do that long-term. So you need a break. I don't know if we have any actual evidence to support that. I mean, I could under, it makes sense, you know, at face value, but I don't know if we can really say for sure. Yeah, and I think um, I think this is one of those things where uh, whichever strategy you're using, I think you will feel like you're validated or vindicated because so like let's take one of my clients for example. I don't do pre-planned deloads with them um, for one because like we do use auto regulation, and secondly, like I, I cannot think of one who didn't have like some like vacation or some something coming up where they went and then they took some time off where they got sick or whatever, or they died sometimes just kidding. Um, so not funny. <laughs> so, um, and you know, like if, if you're looking at how they are progressing, it would be like, okay, so 
they are not adding like 2.5 kilos or five pounds to the bar every single time. Of course not. Uh, I'm some of them might who are like newer, but you know, like they, they go up like, okay, they might stagnate for a, uh, for a workout. Then they break the plateau. Then they progress for two workouts. Then they stagnate a bit. Like, you know, so it would be kind of like go like this, like non-linearly. And in a month they might put on, I don't know, two kilos or five kilos or whatever on the bar. And then you look at someone like Steve clients, Steve's clients or Eric's clients or whatever, whoever is using traditional deloads and it might go, I don't know, they might follow a, like a nonlinear or a linear periodization model, like what Eric's clients are probably doing. So, okay, week one, like four sets of eight, then four sets of seven, four sets of six, then deload, then next block and cool. This month they put on two kilos on the bar like my clients or Steve's case, whatever the volume escalation. So I think you're, you're going to see that it, it's, it's working. If you're doing traditional deloads, probably you're going to be pushing the envelope in some way. So by the time the deload comes, you will feel like you needed it. Um, if you're uh, like if you're doing the Steve and, you know, RP method, like the volume escalation, then definitely you're going to be upping things. Uh, and then when you're returning, you're going to be like more sensitive to the stimulus. So, and, and you're going to be like fresher, of course, like a week off feels good. And like the exercises and the higher intensities of effort are newer. So you're going to get a bigger pump and whatever, so more sore. So you're going to feel like, oh, wow, like this really did something because it's working really well. And if you're not doing deloads, you're probably going to feel like, yeah, actually, like I can train and it's, it's pretty fine without deloads. Like it's pretty cool. So that that's another reason why we don't we won't really know for a while, I think, what is really the optimal way. Sorry, that was a long monologue. No, I mean, I think it makes sense. And there's certainly like I said, when I get to my week five with Steve, you know, whether or not that's like an optimal level of volume and intensity and everything else, I can tell you that, like, I'm looking forward to the next week to take off. So like that would not be sustainable for me, like the five days a week with 20 plus work sets to zero RAR, basically it, it, like that week, I'm just like dead. <laughs> so, you know, mm -hmm. whether, but then I come back and the first two weeks, I'm like, this is pretty damn easy. So is it better to have that or not? You know, I, I think it's interesting because Mike will reference pros a lot and what people do, but I don't know of any other, well, more in powerlifting, but I don't know really like pro bodybuilders who do this like ramping style most of them just go in they do their work and like they might periodize to some degree but not this whole like dramatic addition of volume over time drop dramatic addition of volume yeah it's um yeah i i on a, i think that that's more of a mike um mike invention or someone at rp who mm -hmm. is the brain but i i guess it's mike who is the brain um, it's, um, yeah, I mean, the thing is that since we don't really know, I mean, we also talked about it yesterday, but we don't really know what is causing muscle growth. I mean, we know some of the main movers of it, but like, what is the real formula for muscle growth? Like that's the most reliable one. We have good guesses, but because it's still kind of like this on like uh, full, like not fully discovered area, I think, um, you can have a model like Mike's and it will, it will probably, if it's working uh, for people, then you can claim it with a straight face that that is the ideal way to train. And it might be, uh, we just, we just don't know. So, you know, Mike's method might be the best um, or, or it might be some of the bros from the past. Like yeah. we just don't know. Well, I think at the very least, it's reasonable to say that the deloads aren't going to hurt much. And I know some people would say, oh, it's just you're, you're wasting your time, you're wasting potential. But like, man, we have so much evidence of people who not only who deload and who have amazing physiques on par with anybody who doesn't deload, but also people who get injured and take months away. And then they're basically back at it. I mean, there's numerous Olympia competitors who literally just take like a month or more off and come back. I mean, Kevin Lavroni famously would take months and months off, come back. Um, but even among like natural people, you know, Jeff Alberts, like he literally took a year off from lifting. Are we going to say that if, if he didn't have that year off now that it's been however, like, I don't know, five, 10 years later, however long that's been, that he'd be so much further beyond where he is now, highly unlikely, right? He just caught up to where he was. There's another study showing six weeks on and two weeks off compared to just no breaks at all made the same progress. I, I mean, 
I, I think it's very hard to say that deloading is really just going to screw up all your progress. Yeah. And I think for that reason, um, for that reason, I think uh, it's quite fine to go about it by preference. So yep. um, if, if a client asks me, like, can we do traditional deloads or like pre-planned deloads every fifth week or something, I, I would never say no. Um, so I might say my opinion, like this, this is what I think, uh, or this is how necessary I think it is. But if they want to want to have it, like have at it, like I personally, I would hate to do it that way, just because it would be like an extra variable I would have to manage. And I really like the flexibility. Um, so that, that that's me. But if, if that's, I actually have a client that I remember, um, starts with an F. So F, if you're listening to it, it's you. Um, and he asked for it, then it was no problem. So he's been doing it since then. All right. So yeah, that was, I think everything I had written down to cover, um, where can people find more of your stuff? Uh, yeah, thanks for asking. So SSD able on YouTube um, and able to lift on uh, Instagram because I'm for able now. to lift. Yes. For now, for now. Yeah. And in, in a week, it will be whatever thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Thanks for chatting. Yeah.